Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, for all the discussion about possible COVID-19 vaccine requirements of greater concern, especially as students prepare to head back to school, are the regular battery of vaccinations kids may have missed over the past year or so. Also this morning, consumer expert Trey Bodge has what you need to ensure a smooth back-to-school transition. In our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, Afghanistan was once a very different place. Can it ever rebuild and reinvent itself to be a vibrant, progressive nation again? And happening around town, the Findlay Civic Choir will hold their first performance in over a year this weekend. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, August 19th, 2021. Here's some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories. Uh, Some of the first things that you need to know as we get your Thursday morning started. Here we go again. You remember back at the beginning of the pandemic when there was a run on toilet paper. um, Bottled water was almost impossible to come by. Well, believe it or not, it's deja vu all over again. If you wondered, what did we learn from the pandemic? Apparently, we didn't learn anything about hoarding. (laughs) Costco shoppers took to Twitter recently to complain about toilet paper and water shortages. Mirroring the start of the pandemic back in March of 2020 in the U.S., research shows stockpiling could return as the Delta variant sweeps through the nation a study survey from Inmar Intelligence shown the, uh, showed that 69.4% of the 1,000 adults surveyed, in other words, 694 out of the 1,000 adults surveyed, would consider, would consider stockpiling items amidst the spread of the Delta variant. 694 people, 69.4%, admitted that this is crossing their mind, that they're thinking about this. One customer from Nevada said, did we not learn from last year at all? See, this is, again, this is what I say. Did we not learn anything? Apparently not. This customer said it pulled up to Costco, and they're out of toilet paper and water, just like that. These people never learn. Another customer from California expressed that this could be a sign of the times to come. Please, no, please. Please, Let's not go back to that. Speaking of the uh, spread of the Delta variant, it has really caused a big controversy in some areas, given the timing so close to back to school. Uh, Texas is one of those states where the governor has banned mask mandates, has outlawed mask mandates. Well, the Paris Independent School District in Texas has found what they believe is a loophole around Governor Greg Abbott's statewide ban on mask mandates. Now, here's the thing. In in Texas, I think in Florida, and there are a handful of other states, they are threatening the schools and school administrators by either cutting their pay, I think in Florida... They said school leaders that implement mask mandates will risk pay cuts from the state. 
in Texas, I think they're uh, talking about withholding state funds to the school district in general. So either way, the uh, the uh, bureaucrats are are trying to hit them where it hurts in order to enforce this ban on mask mandates. Well, the Paris Independent School District in Texas believes they have found a loophole. They have made face masks a part of their regular school dress code. <laughs> so they're not they're not making it a mask mandate per se, but masks are now part of the standard dress code. The uh, uh, the trustees, the district, uh, which has about 4000 students, says in a statement The Texas governor does not have the authority to usurp the board of trustees exclusive power and duty to set uh, school dress policies and oversee the management of public schools in the district. Uh, A spokesperson for the governor, who, by the way, Governor Abbott in Texas is himself quarantining after testing positive for COVID-19. But a spokesperson for the governor said there is no loophole. They uh, don't see eye to eye on this. They don't believe that this is a way of usurping the governor's uh, executive order there. Uh, The uh, governor's office says parents and guardians have the exclusive right to decide whether their child will wear a mask or not. So stay tuned. I have a feeling that we haven't heard the last of that. (laughs) That that story. uh, We're not done with that yet. In any event. Uh, Of course, over the uh, past year, people have found all sorts of ways to cope and pass the time uh, during the past year of COVID-19 and so on. And in the UK, I thought this was kind of interesting. In the UK, they have seen a huge spike in the number of garage conversions. Um, This is and I'm not sure. Oh, it is the insurance company Zurich which I guess is one of the largest homeowners policy underwriters in the UK, says the number of garage conversions in that nation went up by 25% last year. I thought this was interesting because, you know, let me finish the story. You see why I found this interesting, even though it's across the pond. Um, So 25% more garage conversions. Also outbuildings. Uh, went up seven seven point five percent the construction of outbuildings on people's properties, but but there's a caveat to all of this construction. The company claims that uh, fires in these garage conversions and outbuildings have increased by sixteen percent as well. <laughs> uh, the head of personal lines at Zurich Insurance says homeowners up and down the country have converted outbuildings into everything from bars to yoga studios gyms and offices but as brits take refuge in their garden sheds and garages it appears to have sparked a rise in accidental fires (laughs) the sale of high-tech outdoor pizza ovens increased by 300 percent and this also contributed to the increase in fires the company is urging homeowners to be mindful of potential fire hazards and take precautions to minimize the risks. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. We're not the only ones who are having trouble adapting to all of this. So anyway, misery loves company, I guess. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, 
Meanwhile, in this country, they're not the only ones that are doing weird things across the pond. I saw this story yesterday. This has nothing to do with the virus, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, you could, you, believe it or not, you could have a final resting place right next to the likes of Marilyn Monroe and Hugh Hefner for the once in an once in a lifetime or once in an afterlife time price of two million dollars the crypt adjacent to where Marilyn Monroe and Hugh Hefner lie uh, is now for sale it is at uh, the Pierce Brothers Westwood Village Memorial Park in Los Angeles the crypt uh, currently belongs to or once belonged to Broadway composer Jerry Herman who is best known for his work in Hello Dolly and La Caja Folle uh, he bought the tomb in 1997 as a final resting place. But when he died a couple of years back, the late musician was instead laid to rest next to his mother in New Jersey. So now they've got this crypt. The family has this crypt and they are putting it up for sale. So for $2 million, you can have a place next to <laughs> in between Marilyn Monroe and Hugh Hefner. For all eternity. <laughs> for, for a mere $2 million, if you're, if you're interested. I just want to point that out. I'll give you that. And how about this, guys? Pay attention here. It turns out that women are not the only ones with a ticking biological clock. Now, this certainly falls under one of the category of one of the most important things you need to know today. A new study from the Center for Reproductive and Genetic Health in London, finds that the probability of uh, having children is 33% lower if the father is more than 50 years old. The probability of a couple being able to have children uh, decreases by one-third when dad reaches age 50. It uh, The study indicated that uh, sperm quality is worse in older men as younger participants had a uh, higher sperm count and uh, uh, a higher sperm count within the healthy range defined by the World Health Organization. Additionally, a study in 2017 showed women under 30 had a much higher chance of success when their male partners were between 30 and 35 years old compared with male partners who were past the age of 40. As more and more people wait until later in life to have children, rates of premature births and seizures in newborns have increased as well. So, bottom line, guys, we have a biological clock as well. So, I mean, this is big stuff, big news. How about that? So, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories... To get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert weather. Partly cloudy with a chance of a shower or thunderstorm today and a high in the mid-80s. Hope House of Findlay is among the finalists in the State Farm Neighborhood Assist Grant Program. Lori Poland from Hope House. Out of 2,000 applications, Hope House was lucky enough to be one of the 200 finalists. Of those 200, 40 will be awarded a $25,000 grant. The grants will be distributed to the top 40 vote-getters in an online poll. You can find a link to the Hope House voting portal on our website. 
Hope House operates a transitional shelter for women and children and offers rent assistance for families facing the threat of homelessness in our community. The Freed Center for the Performing Arts at Ohio Northern University has announced the schedule for its 30th season of shows. The schedule includes a variety of concerts, shows, and productions featuring university talent and touring companies. We have a link to the season schedule on our website. The Freed Center is named in honor of former Ohio Northern University president and his wife, DeBoe and Kitty Freed. A new documentary alleges that the baby tigers and snow leopards that sat in Jack Hanna's lap on the late-night talk shows often didn't come from those at the Columbus Zoo and didn't end up there when the cameras stopped rolling. ONN's Daniel Barnett has more. The Columbus Dispatch, which received a private early viewing of the conservation game, reports the animals were shuffled among backyard breeders and unaccredited roadside zoos, facilities described as prisons for animals. The film also suggests Hannah and Columbus Zoo officials stonewalled attempts to pass federal big cat regulations, while other Ohio zoos and animal advocates expressed support for the proposed law. Hannah, whose family announced last year he is suffering from dementia, has not responded. Daniel Barnett... ONN News. New construction is set to begin this month across the Ohio River from Cincinnati at the site of the former Beverly Hills Supper Club. It will be the first construction other than memorials on the 80-acre property in northern Kentucky since a fire destroyed the dinner club and killed 165 people in 1977. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. In for Matt Demchek, I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Well, for all the discussion about the pros and cons of possible COVID-19 vaccine mandates, perhaps the greater concern, especially as the kids are getting set to head back into the classroom, are the 26 million regular vaccines for things such as chickenpox and measles and hepatitis and so on that have been missed over the past year and a half. A new analysis finds that those plummeting vaccination rates could have a dramatic effect beyond the current pandemic. And we are joined by Dr. Karen Smith for the American Academy of Family Physicians. Dr. Smith, what are some of the key takeaways from this new study that we referenced there? Thank you so much, Chris, for allowing me to come and share with you the National Immunization Awareness Month, partnering with the women in government for this campaign. This is a perfect time to think about the missed dosages of vaccine over the past year. You're right, 26 million missed vaccine doses and 8.8 million missed adolescent vaccines, 17.2 million missed adult vaccine doses in 2020. The takeaway, we have some room to improve this situation and opportunity to correct all of these missed dosages and get back on track. So we're talking about uh, children, adolescents, even adult uh, vaccination rates declining as well. And as a physician, what are your greatest concerns here? Is it the possibility of a pandemic on top of a pandemic? Is it the concern that it may trigger a longer, uh, a, a larger trend? I mean, as a physician, what do you think when you see these numbers? Well, I tell you, Chris, one of the issues that we know High immunization rates are essential for keeping diseases at bay. These are vaccine-preventable disorders. And when low vaccination rates exist, we're going to see more illness, hospitalizations, and maybe even death. We don't need all of that right now. We, we, we have a lot going on. And so each one of us can take the opportunity and be part of that protective barrier to prevent vaccine-related uh, deaths. It's like being a fence. We're, each one of us is a link 
whether it's a plank or a link, if you get your vaccine, I get my vaccine, neighbor gets their vaccine, we are creating this amazingly strong barrier. And for the folks who can't get the vaccine, they're on the other side, inside, we're protecting them. And we're blocking all of these disorders from having impact on our population. We don't want anybody to be the missing link out of our barrier of protection. So as you mentioned, August is National Immunization Awareness Month. Which catch-up vaccinations should we be thinking about here? August is a great time to think about all of them. So the CDC recommends that adults get vaccinated against pneumonia, shingles, hepatitis A. Teens, they should be vaccinated against meningitis, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. They're getting ready to go to college, go back into the classroom. Some of them might even join the military. Any of these settings is where people come together in close um, uh, situations, and there's a tendency for these disorders to spread. Everybody, six months and above, should be getting the influenza vaccine. We need the entire population to be protected against influenza. We do not need a twindemic with COVID and influenza at the present time. You mentioned that we are coming up on flu season. Now, last year, flu season was almost non-existent despite concerns about a twindemic. And a lot of folks uh, were talking about the fact that all of the mitigation issues that we put in place to prevent COVID-19 also staved off the seasonal flu. Now that we are dealing with uh, this rise of the Delta variant and some of the uh, per, uh, measures that were in place last year have been relaxed. How important is this seasonal flu shot heading into uh, the winter of 2021? The seasonal flu vaccine is always important, but this year super important because we are in the middle of another pandemic. And so we want folks to please pay attention and get your families vaccinated. We had shelter in place. We wore our masks. We right. were six feet apart. We washed our hands. We're still doing all of that. And that did help to decrease the respiratory spread of the influenza. But we're coming out. And we want to make sure when you come out, you're protected. Protect yourself, but help protect others. So, again, the message is let's remember all of these other regular uh, the regular battery of vaccines that uh, kids and adolescents and teens and adults uh, need and uh, catch up on all of those that we may have missed over the past year plus. One last question. Is there any concern about vaccine interaction with the covid shot? I mean, can we get these catch up vaccinations in conjunction with the covid-19 vaccine if we have not yet done that? Or is it is it best to put some sort of waiting period in between the two? The answer is yes, we can get the vaccines with the COVID-19 vaccination. That is the best news that CDC gave us in this past month. So please, when you go, if you need to get your COVID-19 vaccine in one arm, you can do it. In the other arm, you can get all the other vaccines at the same time. Sit down, get up, protect it. It will work. Uh, Again, Dr. Karen Smith for the American Academy of Family Physicians in this National Immunization Awareness Month. So important, especially as we are getting close to back to school time. Where do we get more information? The CDC is the best trusted source. I know CDC has been in the news and people had kind of blinked and raised their eyebrows on CDC. It is the best trusted trusted source. We have been using it. People who travel, they know they go there. They don't want to go into another country and get sick. The CDC is the best source. But your family doctor. 
Talk to your family doctor. They know you. They know your family. They're going to work it out just for you and help you navigate all of this information that's out there. And then our partner today, womeningovernment.org. These three sources of information will give you the real, truthful, honest information so that you can make the best decision for you and your family. Dr. Smith, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for being part of our campaign, Chris, and I'm looking forward to getting our population protected. As we continue to count down the days until most area students are back in school, some already are, but uh, for most students, it'll be a few days yet. I think Findlay uh, goes back, what, on Tuesday, I think is the first day of school for Findlay City School students, and then many of the county student uh, county schools waiting until after the fair but uh, nonetheless we're counting down the uh, days until back to school and we are joined now by consumer expert trey Baj. trey you have some things this morning to help with that transition i do school is going to start soon and a lot of our kids may have missed out on key lessons when staying at home last year and so what i would recommend is getting your kids set up with some educational toys and games so they can start getting their brains moving again before they go back to school. So there's a great brand called Osmo, which is known for combining hands-on play with interactive gameplay. And you use your tablet, like your iPad or your Fire tablet, and you pair it with these kits. And one is the Genius Starter Kit, which is for ages 6 to 10. And the other is the Little Genius Kit, which is for preschoolers. And what is great about these kits is that they're really interactive and fun. And they focus on those important things like math, reading, spelling, drawing, problem solving, and even social emotional learning at playosmo.com and Amazon. So a great educational kit to check out for your younger kids. Especially uh, if you're concerned about uh, recapturing some of the learning loss over the past year, which I know is something that we were just talking about the other day. A lot of parents uh, are worried about that. And uh, obviously, as we are preparing for back to school and that back to the classroom routine, we need to start transitioning our kids into a, a more standard bedtime routine as well. Absolutely. So, of course, after a long summer, it's sometimes hard for kids to get to sleep and they may experience occasional sleeplessness. And if that's the case, uh, melatonin is a great ingredient to consider because it is pediatrician recommended for kids. Natrol is the number one drug-free sleep aid brand in the country, and they make a a number of melatonin-based products for kids, like gummies and fast-dissolving tablets. They have a new collection called the Natrol Kids Sleep Plus. Um, There's one with an immune uh, focus, another one with a calm focus if your children have a hard time winding down at the end of the day. And these products help your kids fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. And the good news is, is as an adult, if you trouble with, have trouble with sleep, they have adult products too. Some great stuff there. Now, what are some of these things that we need to put on the uh, back-to-school shopping list this year beyond you know, the, the pencils and the filler paper and all of those standard stuff? Uh, what else would you say? I mean, we get that list from the school of all of those essentials. What would you add to that list? Uh, so what I would add is you definitely need a lunch bag. You definitely need water bottles. And what's really fun is I just discovered that Shutterfly which I know for photo gifts, they uh, have great 
products that you can customize for back to school, like lunch bags and water bottles, oh, and cool. also pencils and folders and, and all those basics as well. And so you make them in just a couple of minutes online. Parent and child can do it together, and the child can express their creativity or their school spirit. And so it's a great way to have a little fun before going back to school. Oh, that is cool. And uh, what kid wouldn't like to have uh, something that is, I mean, personalized stuff is really cool anyway. That is like the ultimate personalization, one of a kind, Uh, certainly not something that anybody else is going to have. So that is uh, awesome. Anything else that we need to uh, think about? Sure. I mean, if you have kids, the thing that I would think about is maybe start a little earlier than before school starts to get them into some good routines. You know, we talked about sleep and that's so important for for mood and memory and learning. But then also, you know, snack time, lunch time, maybe start feeding them on the schedule that your school will be using. They mm. can start getting accustomed to what they can expect when they go back to school. Some great stuff there. Again, uh, consumer expert Trey Baj with us uh, this morning, uh, helping with that transition. And where do we get more information? Uh, you can find more info at truetray.com. Trey, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Time now for our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. And certainly over the course of the past week, we have seen uh, images of uh, coming out of Afghanistan in the news that have been gut-wrenching. Uh, We see this nation ravaged by war, the carnage of religious extremism, and the Taliban retaking control as the U.S. exits. But as we look at those images, very sad images of that nation, something to remember is that it wasn't always that way. As recently as 40 years ago, there was tourism. Tourism was a thing in Afghanistan. I mean, think about that. We'd never think about going on vacation to Kabul today. But uh, there was once, it was a very high culture city. Kabul was considered the Paris of the Middle East. That is the Afghanistan that Abdullah Sharif remembers when he left the country in the mid-70s. And his, his book examines how his homeland has gone from that to this, what we see today. And whether Afghanistan's golden age can be rebuilt. It is called Sardar. From Afghanistan's Golden Age to Carnage. And back in February of 2015, we spoke to him about the book. It is today's Throwback Thursday. As we mentioned, you left in 1976. You did not return until 2007. How do you begin to describe how much has changed now as compared to what you remember from your youth? Well, there's actually very little comparison. Uh, because when I left, uh, as I described in my book, it's, uh, you know, it was Afghanistan's golden age. It was a, a country which was a viable nation state, which means that it had security, it had governance, it had educated people, it could feed itself and it could defend itself. And also, all those things are not in Afghanistan anymore, just to, but for starters. Yeah, you know, what I think is really interesting, too, from uh, the standpoint of Americans who are obviously now very much invested in the future Afga- uh, of Afghanistan, uh, most Americans don't see the country as, as that, having that kind of potential. Not only that, but there are a lot of young Afghans who don't know that either. And Good one point. of the reasons that I wanted to write this book 
was because to give that in, that tell that story basically, uh, so people people don't just lose hope completely. <laughs> Right. You know, obviously all of the all of this began to change in Afghanistan with the Soviet Soviet invasion in the in the late 70s. Was that really the the trigger uh, for for all of this or were there issues that would have led us to where we are now, you know, regardless? Yes, you're absolutely right. It was the coup in 78 with uh, the communist took over which was organized and supported by the KGB that brought the communists to power. And when that communist, that regime could not su- sustain itself, support itself, then the Soviets moved in in 1979, December of 1979, to prop up the regime. And then they got bogged down in Afghanistan for 10 years. But, of course, as a result of that, the, com- the country completely was devastated. But at the same time, Afgan- Afghans themselves a lot of responsibility for the devastation after that because these people who fought the Soviets, then they fought among each other, and then and they were not very successful except in, in destroying the country when the Taliban then moved in uh, with the help of Pakistan and then, you know, followed by our going there in 2001. So, to step back a little bit, what was it that made that golden age prior to the Soviet invasion? What made it such a, a stable time where there was, like we said, there's tourism, there's culture, there's a, a stable, relatively stable government militarily. Uh, they're able to defend themselves. I mean, it's a, it, it's a very, relatively speaking, stable nation. What made it so, and is it possible to get back to that? Yeah, what it made it so was uh, the government that was in Afghanistan uh, was legitimate in the eyes of the Afghans. And then in 1964, the king uh, abolished uh, absolute monarchy and declared constitutional monarchy, which allowed a lot of other people to come and join in the government. So that effort was not just because of uh, the Mahmoudzais or the Sardahars, but it was also because a lot of other Afghans participated in it. Today, the, the government that's there uh, is not seen, does not, is, is not, the Afghans are not considered as legitimate, and I think that is a big problem. And so there were some challenges during the Golden Age as well, but the government of Afghanistan was able to deal with it very uh, successfully in a short period of time because people, again, because of legitimacy. Today that's not the case. It is possible to go back to what it was, provided that the people who are perpetuating this culture of impunity and corruption, who are very uh, much uh, entrenched in the government, are marginalized and, and otherwise gone away and other Afghans, patriotic Afghans come and rebuild their country. You also pull no punches in the book saying that bad advice from so-called Western experts is also hindering the advancement of Afghanistan in these post-war years. Uh, sure, because we need to put things in Afghan context. We will mean, but just meaning well is not sufficient to really get the right results. And then, of course, the uh, foreign experts have to rely on Afghan students. You know, some of them are uh, well-intentioned Afghans, some ones are not, and so we are a lot of times in cahoots with the people who are perpetuating this culture of, you know, uh, impunity and, and corruption. Because any time that you go to a foreign country where, you know, you don't know much about the history, culture, and language, you have to rely on the locals. And unfortunately, we relied on very bad locals and who gave us very bad advice, and we follow those. You also talk about uh, managing 
expectations. And I, I would imagine that when you say that, you're, you're speaking to Afghans terms of managing the expectations of how quickly uh, things can improve and talking to those of us in the West uh, who may have unrealistic expectations of how quickly this can move forward, right? Yes, absolutely. I think that also uh, when I went, you know, when I engaged the Afghans, the officials, uh, you know, it was very difficult for me to really to engage with them because I knew that at a, at a different time, you know, a very educated person was in that position. Now I'm talking to somebody who well, he even qualifies a janitor, but he, you know, he's a governor of a district or something like mm-hmm. that. So that's what I meant for, you know, by managing expectations. But at the same time, it's true that, uh, you know, we need to be, it's difficult to really think for some other people. So on the, our side, the, the America and the coalition side, you know, we want everything to be done today, this second. And that's not, that's not easy to do. Uh, when we are there in Afghanistan, some other country for that matter. With, within our lifetime, can this be brought to a, a stable nation within that region? I'm afraid not. I don't want to be pessimistic, but all we can do during our lifetime is to uh, build a strong foundation that on which Afghans can, you know, can, can move forward. This is just not our fight. This is an Afghan's fight, and they have to take a lot of responsibility to be able to to uh, to uh, rebuild their country. And what about those who will say this will never change? There, there. Some will even say the, the people there don't want uh, don't want it to change. They don't want these types of, of reforms. Yes, um, I would just say that uh, go and look at history. Uh, go and look at the Golan region of Afghanistan. These problems, the tribes existed, the ethnic groups existed. Yet the country was a well-functioning country. So it is. It is just, I, I disagree with people who say that's not, that's not going to change again because uh, you know history uh, tells us uh, tells us completely differently. And uh, you know, in terms of religious extremism and so forth, of course, religion does play a role. But religion is a tool; it's a means to achieve an end. Um, so there's there's definitely hope, uh, at least for Afghanistan, but I'm pretty sure in the Middle East as well at some point. Obviously, still much work to be done, but this really uh, is a an incredible book that shares a lot of history that people don't really know, puts a lot of what is going on now into proper context, and it's been described as a must-read uh, for anyone who wants to understand exactly what's going on with the dynamics of that part of the world, particularly in Afghanistan. It's called Sardar, From Afghanistan's Golden Age to Carnage. Abdullah Sharif is the author with us today, and do you have a website in conjunction with the book we can guide? folks too? I, I do. The website is uh, sardarbook.com. It's S-A-R-D-A-R-B-O-O-K.com. And there's pictures of the golden age of Afghanistan there and a lot more information there as well. The uh, pictures, uh, by the way, are, are just really fascinating to think that that's what Afghanistan once was. It is worth picking up our Throwback Thursday This morning from February of 2015, suddenly very relevant again, given what has been happening in Afghanistan this week. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. And now this update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Uh, A giant rubber ducky has made a surprise appearance. In a harbor in Maine, <laughs> giant rubber ducky. Officials say they have no idea where it came from or why it's there. Catherine Given, the harbor master at Belfast Harbor in Maine, says the 25-foot-tall yellow duck 
with the word joy written on its front, appears to be anchored in the shallow part of the harbor. According to Ms. Given, quote, everybody loves it, unquote. And no one appears to be in a hurry to get rid of the duck. They just have no idea where it came from, who put it there, or why. <laughs> Alrighty then. <clears throat> Big news in uh, Belfast Harbor, Maine. Giant rubber duck. A New York library is apologizing for accidentally handing out pornographic comic books to children. <laughs> Oops. This apparently happened last Saturday during the New York Public Library's 6th Annual Free Comic Book Day. Uh, Tales of a Grown-Up Nothing are the, is the title of the comic book. Uh, features a teenage girl skateboarding on the cover. Nothing you know, indicating that inside there's a distinctly uh, adult material. Uh, people uh, <clears throat> enjoying themselves. <laughs> in adult ways. Uh, big mix-up by the Diamond Comic Distributorship, which uh, sponsors the comic book giveaway. Uh, one dad uh, of a child who received a book discovered the mistake <laughs> and contacted the library, which promptly discarded all of the other comic books uh, that were uh, as yet handed out. So... <laughs> Kids got a bit of a surprise there when they... They're free comic books. <clears throat> Got more than they bargained for. Uh, running from the police is never a, a good thing. It never ends well. Karma will get you uh, nearly every time. Mohammed Ahmed Abu Saleba thought that the Dodge Challenger Hellcat he was driving could outrun the cops. And he was right until he ran out of gas. <laughs> Chase began on an interstate highway in Houston when police identified the car as stolen. And even though it was heavy traffic at the time, the Hellcat, which, by the way, is like the uh, production vehicle with the highest uh, top speed of any production vehicle, it can uh, reach in excess of 200 miles an hour, had no problem at all leaving cops and even helicopters in the dust. However, the car was eventually spotted a little while later, Abandoned on the side of the road, apparently out of fuel. <laughs> Didn't count on that, did you? little karma there. Uh, thanks to infrared technology, Mr. Abu Shaleba was spotted hiding in a wooded area in the middle of a cow pasture uh, before calmly sauntering out of the woods talking on his cell phone. He, uh, he's alleged to have told police that he purposely let the car run out of gas so they could catch up. Sure you did. Sure you did. Trying to save some face there. <laughs> Speaking of people getting karma for trying to run from the cops, in Madison, Wisconsin, police got some help tracking down a man who was reportedly high on narcotics and acting out of control while wielding a knife. A, a police chase ensued after uh, cops responded to the scene. They got some help in apprehending their suspect uh, because Michael Ring allegedly ran and tried to hide from police, but was sprayed by a skunk in the process. <laughs> I love that. I love that skunk to the rescue there. Officers found him cutting a vehicle's tires with a knife uh, and he was arrested. But 
the skunk helped out uh, by uh, <laughs> spraying this. Again, karma will get you. You try to run from police. That's there's no two ways about it. And finally, from the uh, international file this morning, the broken news, a couple in the United Kingdom has been arrested for public indecency for uh, having intimate relations in a park in front of several onlookers, but they have been, the charges have been dropped (laughs) because cops say they don't have enough evidence to press charges, even though the hookup was filmed by someone walking their dog and several witnesses who claim that the pair moved from a secluded spot under a tree to a public area next to a children's playground, the Greater Manchester Police say that no further action will be taken against the couple because of, quote, insufficient evidence. Hmm. I'm thinking that is kind of a backhanded insult, if you really think about it. You know, it's... I'm sorry, we have insufficient evidence to... You know what they're trying to say there, right? Yeah, okay, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update and the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The Finley Trojans play here on WFIN. This is Tim Montgomery. Join me and Coach Cliff Hyde for all the action of Trojan football in 2021. We'll bring you every exciting play each Friday night, all season long, home and away. This is Coach Stephen Adams. The Trojans open the season at home this Friday night against Anthony Wayne. Finley Trojan football is here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You know, students taking online classes during the height of the pandemic uh, really did get one big benefit out of it. And I think we all agree that having kids back in class is going to be preferable to online learning in many ways. But this is something that parents may want to take to heart because during the time that they were at home, they were sleeping more. Researchers surveyed kids in middle school and high school uh, between October and November of 2020, and they found for in-person instructional days, 20.4% of middle school and 37.2% of high school students reported getting sufficient sleep, which is uh, defined in that age group for at least nine hours for middle schoolers and at least eight hours for high schoolers. Uh, For students taking online classes, 38.7% of middle school and 56.9% of high school students reported getting sufficient sleep. But over 62% of middle school and more than 81% of high school students taking online courses without in-person classes reported getting sufficient sleep. So much higher rates of uh, kids getting the right amount of sleep when they were online learning is the bottom line to this research Uh, also uh, students in both groups got more sleep if they had later school start times so the lead study author the lead author of the study lisa meltzer says both inconsistent sleep patterns and not getting enough sleep have negative downstream effects on adolescent health not just their performance in school but their overall health so It is important for education and health policymakers to consider the consequences of early and varied school start times 
uh, as it relates to uh, sleep for students. And they've been saying that for years, but the demonstration line uh, time that kids were online demonstrates they got more sleep. So that is one thing that maybe we should uh, continue moving forward. Parents make a concerted effort. Make sure your kids get enough sleep. It's very important. Happening around town this weekend, the Findlay Civic Choir is going to be holding their first performance in uh, over a year. Uh, joining us this morning is the uh, director, uh, Dr. Sewa Jong. First of all, thanks for uh, stopping by uh, this morning. We appreciate it. How exciting is it to actually be back performing uh, again? Thanks for having me, Chris. Um, I was a little nervous because, you know, we haven't performed or rehearsed for a while. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my singers really wanted to come back in the summer. Mm-hmm. So I just asked, can you come back? Would you like to come back? And they said, most of them, yes, please. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. So we started our rehearsal from the middle of June, and we are very excited to have the concert this Sunday. Sunday uh, is the day, and uh, this actually, uh, just to and mention this again, um, but originally the uh, performance was supposed to be the Marathon Center. Right. Uh, as we were mentioning, they've had some uh, issues because of the storms that went through last week, kind of uh, messed up the electrical system, I'm told there. Exactly. So moved the show to the... Yeah, uh, to Weinbrenner. Weinbrenner at yeah. three thirty. Weinbrenner at University of Finney, three thirty. Okay. Luckily, we could get the yeah. venue, <laughs> and the, the, actually, this Monday. So you know, that that's good. I I can imagine uh, maybe a bit of panic setting in. Did you get ready to get back on stage finally after all this time? And here comes another monkey wrench thrown into everything. Right. It was. So. I was very panicked on Monday when, when <laughs> I just heard that you know Marathon Center is not available for us. Yeah, but. You know, I work in University of Finney, so I just right. called to a couple of times and here and there, and they said, "Yeah, it is okay." Talk a little bit about the uh, the history of the Finlay C- uh, Civic Choir. You've mm-hmm. been around for uh, a handful of years now. Uh, you know, this is my sixth year in University of Finney, and mm-hmm. when I just arrived in University of Finney, I realized, you know, there is no f- community choir in Finney. And yeah, we have a civic band, civic band, right? But but, but not, not community not choir. A choir. So um, I thought it maybe be a good, you know, way to start. As a summer choir, because church choir don't sing in the summer, mm-hmm. and there is no choir from schools. So I started as summer choir in 2018. It was mm-hmm. very successful. I, I couldn't imagine I get the 50 singers in the first season, but wow. I got 50 singers right away. And after that, we switched to civic choir, kind of official choir for our mm-hmm. So. I, I was going to ask, were you uh, surprised by the, the turnout immediately? I mean, that's quite a... I was very surprised, yeah, that's actually. quite a, quite yeah. a crowd. So. I expected about three, 30, singers, 30 mm-hmm. singers from my University of Finney Choir, probably, right. with students and a little bit of community singers. But many singers from outside of you know Finney, some singers from Hancock County here and there, mm-hmm. and many uh, ex-music teachers and current music teachers joined us. Yeah. So I'm... Very happy with that. I was very lucky. So, again, very similar to the makeup of the uh, Civic Band, which uh, most folks are very familiar with. Uh, people come from all backgrounds right. uh, into this. Yes. So that's got to be really fun. So we have from high school age to maybe 80s. So mm-hmm. the wide range of yeah. age. Um you know, kind of intergenerational, you know. Yeah, and uh, and a wide range of experience right. uh, as well, but all with that common denominator. Some of the singers are very good singers, mm-hmm. high school teachers yeah, and ex-music teachers. Some of them are very less experienced, like my son, my daughter, 
but they still enjoyed it very much. Yeah, and uh, always uh, open to you know more people to uh, mm-hmm. join who have a, a a love for vocal music. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want to get more singers. So how give us all of the uh, information on that for anyone who might be interested in joining. How do they do Just that? Just contact me, my email, jung at finney.edu. Then, you know, we can start from there. We start rehearsal from June for a summer concert, and we come back in November for the winter concert. So we're going to have the Christmas concert in December 3rd. At the Wine Center at seven thirty. That was the uh, the other question uh, that I was gonna gonna ask you. Know, what uh, is kind of the schedule of performances? You know, obviously you have this one coming up on Sunday. You mentioned you've got a one coming up at Christmas time. Right. Currently, we have two concerts: one summer, one winter. Mm-hmm. But possibly we can add more. Yeah. But you know, people are busy. Sure. So sure, it's good fit for now. Yeah. So we're gonna have another concert winter in December. So, so we look forward to that. And in the meantime, the summer concert is this sunday at 3 30 as we mentioned it'll be held at weinbrenner uh talk a little bit about the um uh the uh performance schedule i sure. mean what is the you know what's on tap um we we're doing a little bit of mozart music um ave corpus kirian d minor regina Celli. those are all unique pieces mm-hmm. different uh time period from the uh, mozart you know uh career uh and other music like Perhaps Love or The Prayer, Obladi Oblada, very, you know, well-known pop songs. Mm-hmm. And we have some other pieces like Patriot Theme, America the Beautiful, and In Flanders Fields. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, concert. a wide variety of, uh, of pieces there. Uh, so, again, for whatever interest people have, they'll find something that uh, they'll I enjoy. try to make a good balance between mm-hmm. some kind of classical little series of music and, you know, lighter music. So people has different kind of taste and preference, but I think my vision uh, as a core director and uh, educator in university level, I want to introduce a little bit of classical music, a little serious stuff for community, sure. and also make them enjoy with a little lighter stuff. Yeah, and, and to uh, introduce audiences to uh, some mm-hmm. of this uh, that make it a little bit more accessible. Right, uh, like a Kyrie in D minor by Mozart is very rarely performed. And for some reason, uh, Mozart did not complete this music. Really? Probably this is premiere for you know hmm. this area. So I'm yeah. very excited. To perform. Yeah, that yeah. will be uh, that will be interesting. Again, uh, the uh, Findlay Civic Choir uh, summer concert is Sunday, three thirty at Weinbrenner, and it is a free concert, right? It is free. It is absolutely free. Terrific. And uh, so we look forward to that. Uh, and uh, we've got a link for more information. If you want to learn more about the uh, Finley Civic Choir at our webpage, go to uh, goodmornings.net. Again, Dr. Uh, Sewa Jong from the uh, University of Findlay uh, with uh, all of the uh, details, director of the uh, Finley Civic Choir. Dr. Jong, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We Thank appreciate you. it. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, the Executive Director of the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts, Heather Clough, will give us an update on the restart of shows locally and some of the challenges that remain for the live entertainment industry. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.